started a new series a few weeks ago, uh, Essential Practices of the Vineyard. This is something that just kind of came out of a vision that our national director, Phil Stroud, had and shared with us, and I thought it would be appropriate to uh, look into it a little bit. Uh, those essential practices are uh, evangelism, discipleship, leadership, and diversity. And we're going to spend a few weeks on each topic um, looking at them in a little bit of detail. We started uh, talking about evangelism. And if you remember, it was ah, a couple weeks ago now. We, uh, we define evangelism really simply. And, and again, I think it's one of those things we were praying this morning before service, how everybody views evangelism a little bit differently. But uh, the definition I used uh, in our first message on that was just sharing about something that you love, talking about something you love. And that's a really natural thing to do. That's not like a, you don't have to plan that or program that or think about it even. We talk about stuff we love, don't we? When you, when you, you love things, you talk about them. And it's, it's a natural thing to do, just to share those things that are in your heart. And if you love Jesus, it would be a natural thing just to share that. I was reminded at our uh, regional conference uh, last week, a week ago, of something I think is really important. And that is that you know, in, in sharing our faith with other people, I think one of the most p- powerful and profound things we can do is just tell our own story. Uh, just, just talk about what Jesus means to you and what he's done in your life. I've had people, you know, uh, and it's, it's not, it's cute, kind of. It's, it's sort of cute. People share with me how they're afraid to share with somebody or try to lead somebody to Christ because they might get it wrong. I might get it wrong. And, you know, I, I understand that because it seems like there's all these theological points and you have to have them all in order and do it all right. Um, and, and let me say this. Uh, you, you know, you can debate theology. People will debate theology. Uh, they do all the time, all day, every day. And, and if you try to present a theological perspective, the probability exists that somebody will debate you back and forth on that. And you may or may not make headway. Most people that debate theology uh, actually believe what they believe every bit as much as you believe what you believe. So it's sometimes it's just like, like this and it doesn't get anywhere. But you know that no one can debate your story. No one can challenge your story. No one can question your story because that's what happened to you. It's your story. And they can't take that away. And my encouragement in just thinking about sharing our faith with other people is to think about what does Jesus mean to me? What's he done in my life? Is there, am I different today than I was before because of knowing Christ? If so, can I just share that? So I just encourage you in that. Um, this morning, I want us to go a little step further, thinking about you know, evangelism as a natural response, just sharing something we love, and, and, and look at it also maybe as something that really, more than something we do, it's, it's something that just comes out of who we are. And we're going to look at uh, just one verse today, and I'm going to try to do this as quickly as possible so we save a little bit of time to come back and and worship some more uh, at the end of service. But one verse, uh, let's read it together, 1 Peter 2.9, and then we'll pray. Peter says, but you, you, you guys, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Father, would you open your word to us this morning 
and allow us to just absorb it into our hearts and to uh, be transformed by it and apply it to our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. Probably uh, most of you are familiar with this verse. You've heard it before. You've read it. You may have heard a study or a a sermon done on it at some point. It's a a well-known verse, and it's well-known for a reason. It's it's a powerful verse. It's, it's It's a powerful statement about what it means to be in Christ. My hope today is just to be able to not only look at how powerful it is, but really the depth of meaning it has for each each one of us in our own lives personally. I want to read the, the first part again. He says, You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That's kind of high praise. I mean, that that's a those are good things, aren't they? I mean, that's that sounds really good. You're really special. You really are. Um, something I've noticed, uh, and we see this in children a lot, but it, 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 unfortunately we don't always outgrow it, uh, as adults too, is that when somebody is special, if you tell somebody you're special, there, there sometimes is this thing in your mind where you get to think that that means that you're superior. You're not only just special, but you're a little better than everybody else. Anybody ever feel that way? Maybe a little bit? Yeah. Uh, sometimes we feel like we're a little better than other people when we're special. We get sort of this superiority complex. Um, you know, that was the mistake that the Israelites made in the Old Testament. They were God's chosen people, but they forgot why they were chosen. They were, we, we, we know this, right? We see it every week. They were blessed to be a blessing. They were God's chosen people so that they could share the blessing and the goodness of God with others. But sometimes they forgot that that's why they were God's chosen people, and they just began to feel like we're a little better than all these other people out here. And it was that exact same mistake that the Pharisees made in the New Testament. When we think of the Pharisees, we kind of always think of them in this sort of negative light. But the truth is, they were devoted people. They, They studied the Word of God, they studied the law, and they knew it very well, which is good. But in that process, they also began to think of themselves as better than everyone else because other people didn't study and know the Word of the law quite as well as they did. The second part of this verse... I think helps us understand a couple things. One, one, I think it helps us understand why we're chosen and why we're special. And the other thing it does, really, if, if, you, uh, if you really apply it, is that it has kind of a, a built-in safeguard against that superiority complex. The second part of the verse, of course, is just that you might declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Um, that's, that's the reality. That's the whole enchilada right there. That's the reason that God says that you're chosen, you're royal, you're special, you're holy, so that you can tell other people about how good it is to walk in Christ. You're these things so that you can declare to them that, hey, you know what? You can be holy, chosen, royal, and special too. You have the opportunity to enter into this relationship that I've entered into and to know how good it is. That's that's the purpose that we're here. We're not special just to be special. 
We're not special so that we feel like we're better than everybody else. We're special so that we can let everybody else know that they're special too. That's the big picture. That's really what it's about. Peter, of course, is the author. I, I love Peter. Peter's probably, he, to, to me, he's the most relatable disciple, right? Um, <laughs> Peter, his, his spiritual journey was kind of like a roller coaster ride, you know? Uh, he had some high highs. Peter did some amazing, powerful, profound things in the Lord. Then he had some low lows. He also did some not so amazing things at times. Peter was a fisherman, and he's doing what fishermen do, and uh, he sees Jesus, and Jesus says, come follow me. And Peter immediately goes and follows him. He leaves his boat, he leaves his, his trade, he leaves his livelihood, and he goes to follow after Jesus. Um, and, and, and he really put his heart into following Jesus, but at times I, I think Peter got a little bit of a superiority complex. I think he sometimes felt like he was a little better than other people too. I love the uh, the water walking incident, you know. You can, you can look at that two ways, and I've heard that taught before where people say, well, you know, Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and immediately he sank. Yeah, he took his eyes off Jesus, but, you know, he got out of the boat. <laughs> I mean, nobody else got out of the boat. <laughs> got the guy some slack. Uh at another point, you know, Jesus says, Peter, you're, you're my rock. You're, you're the guy. I'm going to found my church on you. And he gives him the keys of the kingdom. And 10 seconds later, Peter doubts Jesus. And Jesus has to say, get behind me, Satan. You're, you're the rock. No. I mean, that's the way it was for Peter. And I, I really do think at times Peter felt uh, a little better than others. I think in his, in his immaturity. And let me just comment on that for a second. I... I uh, I've said numerous times, immaturity is not a sin, okay? So we're all in progress. We're all, we're all moving towards Christ, and we're all relatively immature to a point, and being immature is just being immature. It's, it's not a sin. It's, it's just where you are in life, and we grow and we learn. Um, at one point, and I think this is one of those times when Peter was feeling it a little bit. It's in Matthew 18, and... Uh, Peter asks Jesus a question. And he says to Jesus, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And I really think Peter was feeling pretty good about himself. I think what he's saying here is, hey, I could, I'd forgive him seven times if that's what it takes. And we know the response, right? Jesus says to Peter, no, 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 no not seven times. Seventy times seven times. And what Jesus is saying there is not, uh, you know, you, you have to forgive somebody 490 times. What he's actually saying is, no, Peter, the way it works is like this. You forgive, and then you forgive, and then you forgive, and then you forgive, and you, and you just keep forgiving. That's what you do. After Jesus gave Peter that answer... He, uh, he did what he very often does, which is he'll tell a story to illustrate his point. He wants to make sure Peter really gets what he's saying here. So he tells Peter this little story, and the story is about a king who is settling up accounts with some people that owed him money from his kingdom. And one man in particular, it says, came to him 
And this man owed the king, it says, 10,000 bags of gold. Now, uh, a couple things on that. One, I don't have any idea the, the, the relative equivalent, what that would be today, 10,000 bags of gold. I think the point is it was a lot of money. The other thing I'm not sure about is how he got himself in that much debt. But let me say this. Anybody I've ever known that was in that bad a debt, it wasn't good. Something went wrong. He, he was, this, was, this, this guy had made some bad, bad choices along the way to get himself uh, indebted to the king to the amount of 10,000 bags of gold. So the debt is due, and the king comes to collect, and, um, well, of course, he doesn't have the money to pay. And so the king says to the man, well, here's how it's going to work. Not only you, but your wife and children, your whole family is going to be sold to pay this debt. So, I mean, he's... He's going to sell them into slavery. He's going to give up their freedom in order to pay the debt that he owes. The man realizes suddenly the mistake he's made and, and, and how deep the trouble he's in is. And so he falls on his knees before the king and he begs for mercy. And then in the most amazing turn of events, the king looks at the man, he grants him mercy, and he cancels his debt. You don't owe me anything, just go. short time later, that same man has a friend who it says owes him a hundred pieces of silver. And again, I don't know the relative equivalent between a hundred pieces of silver and 10,000 bags of gold, but I'm guessing it's a significant difference. That was a large debt. This is a small debt. Now, in my mind, I would think that a guy who had been forgiven such a massive debt would be very willing to forgive a smaller debt. He would understand the power of forgiveness. His friend also falls before him and begs for mercy. But what does the guy do? He has him thrown into jail. Jesus tells a story about forgiveness. He tells a story about a king who acts like a priest. He forgave a debt that couldn't be repaid. And I believe that was a lesson that sunk into Peter's heart and that he remembered throughout the rest of his life. Peter says, you're a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Your God's special possession, that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Peter understood what it meant to be a king and he understood what it meant to be a priest. He understood what it meant to be forgiven a debt that couldn't be repaid. And I think he understood what it meant in turn to forgive others for their debt against you. Generally speaking, uh, a king is a king and a priest is a priest. They're two, they're two different people. But the, the idea, the notion of a royal priesthood dates all the way back to Genesis 14 and a man named Melchizedek, who is an interesting person. He's sort of a mysterious figure in Scripture. No one really knows where he came from or where he went. And there's a lot of things surrounding his life that are parallels to the life of Jesus. And most scholars believe he was in some ways a... Uh, a likeness or an image, a forerunner of who Jesus was. Uh, Psalm 110 tells us prophetically that one would come in the order of Melchizedek, there's, that, that there's coming someday a royal priest that would be like, like him. And then the author of Hebrews tells us that that person, in fact, is Jesus, that Jesus is this royal priest. And now here in, in, uh, in Peter, he tells us that we too 
are of that line, that we too are a royal priesthood, that we too have both the authority and the anointing to forgive others their sin and to represent who Jesus is to them. The, uh, you know, the, the priesthood of the believer is such a powerful, powerful reality. It's, it's very, very important to who we are in the Vineyard Movement. And uh, often when we think of that, uh, what we think of is the dynamic that we now have direct access to God. That we don't need anybody to go to God for us. There's no intermediary. That person has been removed and we can go directly to God. And let me tell you, that's good. That's a good thing. That's a very, very good thing. Uh, we, we can go directly to the Lord any time, any place. But let me say this, the priests also had a job. You see, the, the priest's function was to be that person that brought others to the Lord. The, the priest's job was really, literally, to draw near. It was to take someone who was far away from God and bring them closer to God. The priest really became the intersection between heaven and earth. And I think our job as priests is to take people that don't know they have that access to God into the presence of God. To let people know that they too are a special possession. They too can be forgiven their sins. They, they, they too can walk in the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God's kingdom. You know, when we, uh, when we tell people about Jesus, we share the good news, that that's what we're doing. We're, we're bridging that gap. We're closing the distance between heaven and earth. When we pray for the sick, we're doing the same thing. We're closing that gap. We're helping someone draw closer. To God. When we care for the poor and we feed those that are in need, we're closing that gap. We're becoming that go between, that place where heaven meets earth. Two things. I think one is that's a responsibility that shouldn't be taken lightly, but it's also such an amazing privilege to know that as a priest, I, I can help someone who doesn't know that they can draw near to God to draw near to God. In a vineyard, we have a little saying. Uh, Everybody gets the play. And this is exactly what it means. This is exactly what it means. It means we all get to be that person. We get to be that priest who connects the dots, who, who draws someone who's distant back to God. We've been given that ministry of reconciliation. It's, it's our job to be able to bring someone into the presence of God who isn't in the presence of God. It, I, can, I think it's the best job in the world. I think it's the best job in the world. There's nothing better than to see the lights come on, to, to see someone's life transformed, and to know that I had a part, just a, even a little part, in bringing them into the presence of God. That's the greatest thing you can do. And not only this, let me tell you, I think it's not only the best job in the world, I think you get the best team in the world. Best co-workers. So many people, you know, you go to a job. I, I love my job. I hate the people I work with. They're so mad. We have the best people in the world to work with, man. What, a, what an amazing group of people. We're, we're, we are a chosen people, not a chosen person. We're a royal priesthood, not a royal priest. We're, we're a holy nation, not a holy dude. We, we, we get to do this together. We get to partner together to bring people into the presence of God. I, that's such an important part of the picture. 
by ourselves, independently, we don't really represent who he is because he isn't solo. God didn't do this on his own. He, he did it in community, and he wants us to do it in, in community as well. He wants us to work together to draw people into his presence. It's the best job ever, and, and it's the best group of people you ever get to work with. But I don't think it would be fair if I didn't say this. It's not the easiest job. Sometimes it's the hardest job. You remember Peter's question? How many times? Jesus answers, 70 times 7. We like that. Sounds good. Yes, we, get, we forgive and we forgive and we keep forgiving. Unless you're the priest who has to be forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and forgiving over and over again. Sometimes that wears you out a little bit. <laughs> Sometimes you get a little tired. When you're the one that's trying to draw people near to the Lord and you watch them make the same mistakes over and over again and they're not coming along as quickly as you think they should, that can cause a little frustration inside of you. It's not always easy to be in that role. It can be really humbling at times. feel like, I, I've got the best news ever. I'm trying to share it, and these people don't get it. It's not always easy. So it's helpful for me, and I'll close with this, and then we'll uh, we'll go back into worship and take some time to pray for each other today. But it's helpful for me in those times when it's difficult to be that priest and difficult to be that one that's here representing Christ, the people who don't always want to know, uh, just to remember Peter, to think about Peter's life. Peter, who was uh, slightly over-assertive at times, lopping off the centurion's ear, comes to mind. And then I remember Peter, who was humbled and broken. Peter, who told Jesus, I'll never leave you. And hours later, denied him three times. Hey, wait a minute. I know you. You were with him. No, I wasn't with him. Wait, no, you're... You were, I saw you. You were with him. No, I was, wasn't with him. No, you, you're one of his guys. No, I wasn't. Peter's heart was broken at his own sin. He left fishing to go follow Jesus, and after that, he left following Jesus to go back to fishing. Then early in the morning, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he encounters Jesus. Peter knew that Jesus knew. This time Jesus asked Peter a question. Peter, you love me? You know I do. Then feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Three times Peter denied Jesus, and three times Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? Third time Peter says, Lord, you know. You know everything. You know what I did. You know where I've been, and you know that I love you. And Jesus says, you, Peter, are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're my special possession. Feed my sheep. Let's stand.